When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Do you like beer? Do you like free? How about, you guessed it, free beer? As a valued listener, we'd like to bestow upon you just that. Thanks to our good pals at Beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight delicious and painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com forward slash city and cover just the postage of £4.95. And, as if that wasn't enough, as a listener of the Man City Show, you'll get two extra free beers. So that's ten free beers! Beer 52 are the beer pioneers. They traverse the globe to find the best and most interesting beers from around the smallest batch breweries planet Earth has to offer. No surprise, then, that they are the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer 52 delivers a case with a different theme. Themes have included Germany, Korea, Belgium, South Africa, California, New Zealand, and many, many more, but they haven't forgotten their roots. As an independent UK company, Beer 52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The beauty of Beer 52 is that you can leave any time. The power is in your hands. As well as the best, most interesting beer money can buy, your case will include the award-winning craft beer magazine Ferment, which explains the theme and individual beers you'll receive and a beery snack is thrown in. Just to top it all off. Don't like dark beers? Choose the light plan. Easy. Just go to www.beer52.com forward slash city to get your case free. And don't forget, right now, the Man City Show listeners get two extra free beers. Welcome to the Man City Show. It's Nigel Rothband back in the chair. Just two guests this week, but it's a top team. Welcome back to... Tony Newcrosh. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. And the amazing Paul Denby. What a compliment. I've not had that one before, but well, thank I'm, you very much. I'm comparing you with Tony Newcrosh, I suppose. That's what it's about. Listen, we're going to get straight into this. We'll talk about the specifics. But, but Paul, can you kick off, please, and to answer this question, which is, as a fan, 
how do you feel about some of the criticism that's been kind of put towards the City players that maybe Stretford wanted it more than us at the weekend and that's why they won the game? I think they, their desire was a bit greater, their need is greater. I'm not sure that the City players didn't want to win the game. I just think the, the Stretford pushed it a lot harder. At the end of the day, we lost uh, probably because of Edison's mistake, bad marking at the free kick, which we were probably a bit riled about them getting, but once they got it, we had to defend it better than we did. And after they went one up, we chased the game a little bit. And we, do, we had lots of possession, but we never really looked like we were going to score. I think Sterling had three shots in the whole game, and all three shots were pretty damn weak. I would have thought that um, he should be doing a little bit better. I thought Edison obviously had a, a terrible game by his standards, and probably by most goalkeepers' standards, to be honest. And I thought the other player that was particularly weak the other day was Zinchenko, who uh, had a shocker. Um, but I'm not blaming the defence. All right, I pulled those two players out. Um, but I think the midfield and attack just didn't deliver anything at all of any meaning. We had a lot, as I say, as usual, lots of possession, but without really threatening to, to score, apart from Aguero when he did put it in the net. And whether VAR, it doesn't matter. It was offside. That's life. Tony, your thoughts on this issue? Before we, I think Paul's highlighted a number of specifics that we probably want to get into a bit more detail. But this issue of they wanted it more than we did, they needed it more than we did. How do you feel as a fan? Is, is, it, is this not the team that we just want to beat every year, every time we meet them? Of course we want to beat them every time. I think we're asking an awful lot. This is a team that had played, it was their fifth consecutive away game. They looked a little bit fatigued. It was a tough place to go for a derby. Um, I think it was not unsurprising, in all honesty, and I think we are comparing them to the exceptional standards we've set over the past couple of years. Yes, I think we dropped a little bit below that. Let's be honest, we dominated possession. We just lacked that urgency that normally gives us the edge, and we were punished for two horrendous mistakes. So I think Pep was probably right. It's fine margins, and given he rested his two first-choice fullbacks, I think it says a lot about the priority the club's putting on the league at the moment. And that's it, isn't it? It is about priorities, isn't it? And I think, you know, I accept what you both said, but clearly if you compare this with, say, the Real Madrid game, this pales into insignificance almost, doesn't it? It's chalk and cheese now, let's be honest about it. I think in last week's podcast, one of your guests said, we're going to finish runners-up, and we are 90-odd percent certain we're going to finish runners-up unless we have a disastrous run of form. So therefore, the league is rather irrelevant in that respect. And I would be putting all our eggs in the two baskets, the FA Cup, which would be great to continue on and, and potentially win, and the Champions League, which would be fantastic. So, yes, I'm totally with Pep. Play the players that we need to in the league to get through the games. I'd like to win as many as we can, but I'm not too upset. Uh, in terms of losing derby games, over the last eight, nine seasons, yes, in the league games, that was the least meaningful league game that we've probably had with them over the last seven, eight, nine seasons. So to lose it, disappointing, but not the end of the world. Mm. Astonishing the way they were celebrating as if they'd won the league, wasn't it? And how we've come full circle. It used to be the only thing we had to look forward to was the odd derby win. I don't buy all this nonsense about United being back. They were rubbish, quite frankly. 24% possession in their own patch, and they think they're like Fergie Mark II. No chance. They were rubbish, just we were almost as bad as them. So, saying that we're almost as bad as them, what's your view of Pep then when he comes out? And he, to be fair, he's consistent. He comes out every time. He never, ever criticises his players in public. I suspect what happened behind closed doors and what happened in the dressing room was very different to the persona and the comments he made after the game. He was talking about a great performance. We played well. Is that kind of... Does that sit comfortably with you? Or would you like to see him being a little bit more honest, maybe, when he stands in front of the press? Mm. 
I certainly don't want to see him criticise players in public the way Jose Mourinho has this week. I'm sure, as you say, he said what he needed to say behind closed doors. Look, we learned everything we already knew that game. We know Zinchenko is not a full-back, and that's not a fault of his. He's doing his best, but up against fast wingers, he struggles, especially when you've got someone of Otamendi's class who's meant to be covering for him. Otamendi will not be there next year. I think that is clear. He has not improved the way we would have liked this season. He's had his chance. We will go out and buy a quality centre-half who will play aside Laporte. All will be well. I think we know how we can improve and we know where our weaknesses are at the moment. Put Laporte back into that team, put De Bruyne back into that team. We'll be fine with a new centre-half next year and hopefully Mendy as well will prove to us he is the world-class full-back. He should be. And it's hard. You know what? It took us a year when Pep first arrived to get used to Pep's way of playing. Mendy's not had that luxury, so I still think he deserves the benefit of the doubt at the moment. I mean, the back will come on to the sort of misfiring up front that you alluded to at the start, Paul. But that back four, I think I'm right in saying it's the first time they've played together as a back four. And he's obviously, Pep does tend to tinker a bit. And you've got the whole situation of Fernandinho again filling in. And we've mentioned before that Sinchenko, I don't think he's played many games, I think two games since Christmas or something. So it was a patched up back four again, which is a continuing problem, isn't it? And uh, going, if we say we're going to go on and win the Champions League, which we'd like to do, can we really win the Champions League with a back four like that? No. <laughs> That's a long time. But on a back four, you would expect... Um, Cancelo had a decentish game. His footballing skills showed quite well on Sunday, I thought. He, 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 make, he plays the ball. He's a better footballer than Walker, but Walker has got the pace that gets him out of trouble. So the back four, if everybody would, was fit at the moment, would probably see Walker and Mendy as the two full-backs, so that takes out Cancelo and uh, Zinchenko. Otamendi wouldn't get a look in because Laporte would play, and it's then a matter of whether you play Fernandinho, which I think he probably would at the moment, with Laporte. So the, of the back four that played on... Sunday, only Fernandinho would survive on the best four that you've got there. Should we talk about some of these errors then that you alluded to? Let's start with the goalkeeper, who I think we'd all accept, and Pep made the point, is an outstanding goalkeeper uh, and has been magnificent for City over the last two or three seasons. And we've won all those trophies with him between the posts. But it was a bit of a nightmare for the boy, uh, both for the first goal... He almost sort of let one creep under his foot with a back pass as well, of course. Showed a lack of concentration. And then um, at the end, clearly we were chasing the game and probably in a different situation he probably wouldn't have taken that risk. But it was a bit of a nightmare for the boy. It was. It was just one of those games that you'd probably think, I'd like to forget all about it if I was Edison or, or just remember what I've got to do better in future. The one that crept under his hand in the first for their first goal was a, was a disaster, really, because had that not gone in, or had he saved it, then I dare say the second goal wouldn't have gone in because we probably would have been reasonably happy. We don't know what, how the game would have played out, whether it would have stayed nil-nil. Uh, but he clearly, the, when he threw it out, it was already past the end of injury time. We're playing injury time and injury time for the substitution, I think, that was made. Uh, and therefore, he wouldn't have thrown it out in, in such a rush that uh, allowed them to score. So, yeah, it was a disaster. And the, the one where he tried to where his concentration was lapsed. That was a bit more concerning because it very nearly led to a, a second goal, uh, a second goal, which would have been a catastrophe at that stage of the game when it happened in the 94th minute. It didn't matter if the game was over. And in terms of the free kick, of course, that uh, gave them that free kick, um, a lot of people were saying got the ball quite cleanly and uh, wasn't a free kick in the first place. You, you'd see it that way or, or yeah, not? Yeah, I've, I've watched it a few times. It's quite difficult to say, so could have gone either way look the point's been made we should have defended better 
clearly Edison should have saved it. We had one Villa in the cup final, a decision that went our way that led to a goal. So, look, it happens, but we should have, it should have been saved. Good free kick, though. You've got to give them credit. Obviously, training ground move, something that they've obviously worked on. You've got to give them some credit. I know it hurts, hurts me to say this, but you know, you've got to admire that, I think, haven't, they? haven't we? Stratford Nigel, I never thought I'd say it. But, um, yeah, it was a good free kick, I suppose. But, it, look, it should have should just... It should have been stopped, shouldn't it? Um, Aguero switched off a bit? Absolutely. Everyone switched off. Aguero switched off. Goalkeeper switched off. Soft goal. And just sticking to the, the, the negatives for a moment, because, of course, you know, we lose away at, at Stretford. It, it, it's it's going to be less upbeat than it was last week, by definition. Uh, other performances. Phil Foden goes from a man-of-the-match performance uh, seven days earlier to suddenly going a bit, absent he wasn't let's be honest he wasn't the only one i recognize only 19 years of age doesn't have that many starts but people are saying he's david silver's natural replacement but didn't shine let's say at old trafford well david silver doesn't even in his peak didn't shine in every single game and foden is young enough where he's gonna he's not gonna shine in every single game he's got to learn how to get into games where he was starved of the ball particularly in the first half didn't really get involved as much as perhaps he, he could have done whether he can play more to get the ball rather than um, being given the ball. I, I don't know, I'm not a professional footballer. But effectively, he's going to have ups and downs in his career and that was a poor game by his standards. But as you said a, a few moments ago, he wasn't the only one. I would say most of the team had a poor game on, on Sunday. If you were to ask me who was the man of the match I, for City, I would really, really struggle to pull somebody out and say they had a good game. Who was man of the match for City, Tony? Fernandinho. Always a safe option, though, isn't it? Always <laughs> it, a safe option. If in doubt, say yeah, Fernandinho. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but even he made one mistake that nearly led to a goal as well. I mean, yeah, you can always say Fernandinho because he's normally very reliable. But seriously, there wasn't one player that stood out for City and say, yeah, he, he was great. And then, of course, we have the offside goal uh, that you again alluded to. Isn't VAR a wonderful thing? Because some people, because you kind of watch it back and always sort of go to these games and record it and always watch it, watch it when I come back, uh, even though we've lost. And we've got a situation there where I think some pundits even thought it was potentially a goal and not offside. And it's kind of, it's even more confusing, isn't it? But VAR is irrelevant, isn't it? Because the linesman put his flag up, so forget VAR. Once the linesman put his flag up in the old days, he's offside anyway. So VAR is not accountable for this one. If the linesman put his flag up, the referee 99.999% of the time will blow for a, a free kick to the opposition. And that's what would have happened without VAR. So we can't blame VAR for that. Oh, we can. You can try, but it's no, not VAR's fault. Go on, go on, no, I think, go on, though, I your think the way they're meant to do it now is they play on, don't they? Even if the linesman's put the flag and someone scored, I can't remember earlier this season, not for City or any game involving City, where exactly that happened. The flag went up, they played on, they scored, and it was overturned by VAR. So De Gea was, uh, well, somewhat foolish, some might say, because it was very tight in the end. I think, to be fair, he was probably just off. There was a nose hair offside, mm. I think it was. We're going down to hairs now. Bodily, bodily hairs is what we're talking about. But have, it's have a shave before each game, then. Definitely, and particularly in your underarms. That's really important. Uh, but it's interesting, I think, you know, De Gea's reaction was, I think, significant in this. Oh, I'm, I'm suggesting that. That he made no effort, just presuming that it was offside. And I'm wondering if it was overall. overall there could well have been a riot, because yeah. he just assumed it was going to be given as offside and didn't even try. I mm. think that it could have, it could have caused himself a few problems. So he kind of went for the safe option, in my view. And that's yeah. maybe with my sky-blue spectacles on, yeah. but that's kind of how I saw it. And couldn't happen to a nicer guy as well. Shame. But, yeah, I mean, I have to admit, it was very, very tight. I thought he was quite 
professionally negligent in his attitude, but he got away with it. 72% possession you've talked about, Paul, here. Um, it, it's, you know, how, how can we lose a game against a side who have clearly struggled and, yeah, they've made a bit of an improvement recently, but on paper we're far better despite all the injuries we have. We understand De Bruyne's out. We understand we're playing without Laporte and we've got that sort of makeshift back four, but we should be beating a side like that. So why with that much possession? Is that a concern to you, that we have that much possession and we still can't convert that into victories? Because it's kind of the story of City's season, isn't it, in many ways? You you can look back at several games we've lost this season. In fact, most of the games we have lost go back a few weeks to Tottenham. It was Actually, Tottenham's possibly even worse because we created a lot more clear-cut chances that we should have scored. But with most teams that we play against... Particularly in the Premier League, we have 65-plus percent possession. So 72% is at the top end of what we would get. But we don't convert. And it's a matter of they played, like a lot of teams do, as if they were the away team. They played with a back, quite defensive mode and relied on the break. But they did hit us and they had a couple of other chances to, to score. It does concern me that when we have 70-odd percent possession against a team, not that we don't necessarily win, but we're not creating better chances and better opportunities where we should score. As I said a few moments ago, Sterling did have three chances to score, three decent opportunities. So he created some himself, but all three shots were tame and almost straight at the, uh, the, uh, the keeper. So what's the point? Sterling's gone off the boil, hasn't he? He's, he's too interested now in sort of promo videos and PR and social media, and he's kind of becoming a bit of a superstar. But, but surely... Delivering on the football field is his first priority, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he had a very, in my humble world, a very simple side foot finish to equalise and completely fluffed it. And to me, he looks far more effective now when he comes in off the bench as an impact player. He looks like he needs a break, and whether it's because he's devoting himself to external activities or just, frankly, knackered after a long season, I don't know. But the whole team just had this sort of virus of fatigue about them, it seemed to me. Um, I think if we self-isolate from United fans for 14 days, we'll be, we'll be fine. But, all right, let's be clear. If it wasn't for Edison's two mistakes, we'd at least have got a draw, and we easily could have won. But I think the point, you know, it's a bit harsh to criticise when we're far and away the leading scorers in the division to say we don't create enough chances. Clearly we do. Um, on the day, it just didn't come right for us. But there's not much wrong with that squad or team at the moment. We easily could have got a result there, I think, just with a little bit more intensity that sadly wasn't there. You say there's not much wrong with the team, but Pep now has lost seven games in a league season. The season's not over yet, and he's never, ever lost that many in a top-flight season. Your thoughts and reflections on Pep, then, and what that says about him and his management? Well, I think, as has happened to us many times previously, it's been our recruitment, having won the league, where we've, we've suffered. It was, I think, in hindsight, fairly obvious, as we've discussed before, that we should have replaced our Captain Marvellous last year. Uh, we need someone to step into Vincent's shoes as a leader, as a player. And it's cost us, unfortunately, with Laporte's injury. Now, as we've just said, out of those seven games we've lost, I think six we've dominated. And Liverpool, by dint of one very controversial VAR decision, could have turned out very differently for us. So... There's not much wrong. I think when we get our strongest 11 back out there, we'll be fine. We'll have to make a decision about left-back. And by Jove, we need to recruit a new centre-half. And I'm sure we will this summer. Thoughts about Pep, Paul? 
Oh, got no doubts about it. He's one of the best managers in the world. Um, he makes mistakes, but all top managers do. Uh, whether you look back to the Stratford team under Fergie, he made mistakes. The Liverpool team, uh, they made their managers made mistakes. He's very, like a lot of top managers, he's very dogmatic. He believes in himself, and if he makes a mistake, he's not willing to necessarily correct his mistake straight away. He'd rather live with a bit of pain to try and sort it out himself rather than say, actually, I got it wrong. At least he doesn't do so openly. I've got total faith in Pep. We've won so many domestic trophies under him that you, you'd struggle to really criticise him. Yes, he'll make mistakes, but everybody makes mistakes in life. And if he was to stay, say he's staying with City for another two, three, four years, I'll be not one of the first, because I'm sure there'll be other people hear about it before me. I'd, I'd be very happy. Bernardo Silva thought it was unacceptable, the performance. His words, not mine. It was. The performance wasn't great. Pep disagreed with him, of course. Well, Pep's entitled to his opinion. Just because they disagree on a point of view doesn't mean I still don't think that Pep is one of the best managers. Bernardo, it was, it was a poor performance. I think we've all said that. But sometimes a poor performance isn't a reflection of what the manager wants you to do. It's just the players don't quite deliver on the day. The big positive for me, and we've covered this very briefly, is their reaction at the final whistle. Like they had won their cup final. Just shows how the tables have turned. They win a game with 20-odd percent possession and they are celebrating like they've won the Champions League, the World Cup and uh, the Intertoto Cup. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was, it was almost, well, who was it? it? said 19th century football at the time, wasn't it? Just hoofing the ball up and hoping someone fast would chase onto it. And you might say, fair enough, it's not an unreasonable tactic against us at the moment. But no, they're still a poor team. Let's, let's not kid ourselves. We've played them off the park once this year. And we'll have a much better season than they will at the end of the reckoning. Yeah, no, no more to add to that. I mean, we are a better team than them, and but we have lost. People say we lost three out of four games. I, I pull back on that one because I think when we lost one nil at the Etihad, it, we still won the tie. So exactly. we weren't chasing exactly. after the game at the end. We were Correct. defending a one nil defeat, which you wouldn't do if it was a Premier League game or a one-off cup game. Exactly. Listen, we're going to come back shortly and talk about a hard-fought victory at Sheffield Wednesday and then look forward to two games in just a handful of days against Arsenal and Burnley. And we'll be straight back to do that straight after this. I'm Josh Schneider-Weiler. And I'm John McKenzie. We know that the football news cycle never slows down. But sometimes, don't you wish it did? On the Football Today podcast, we give you in-depth analysis of the most interesting stories from around the world of football. And hear from the most knowledgeable journalists in the game. You can listen to each episode in the time it takes for a single commute. So join us now and subscribe to Football Today, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. Uh, have you guys incidentally listened to the Football Today podcast? I'd, uh, I've listened to a couple. Um, I've not yet heard of it. I've heard of it, and I will uh, look it up next time I get a chance to listen to a new podcast. So looking forward to it. Excellent. Let's, um, let's talk about um, the heart fought, heart, hard-fought victory against a sort of uh, a tough Sheffield Wednesday team. Though it was always going to be tough to go there, of course, to Hillsborough. They worked hard, um, defended in numbers. It felt a bit like attack versus defence at times, one of those sort of training games. But in the end, I think we hit the bar a couple of times as well, didn't we? We had our chances, but it was Mendy who found Sergio in an onside position. No VAR, of course. And 
just crept under the keeper and over over the line to give us a, a victory. Have I summed it up perfectly and given you nothing else to say, or have yeah. you got anything else to say on it? <laughs> Thank you, that, Nigel. Let's move on to the next subject. <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, yeah, you summed it up. I mean, it was a training ground exercise. We were in second gear, I think, for most of the game. Um, Sheffield Wednesday looked like they were trying to get for, to a nil-nil for most of the game. I think they only had one chance late in the game when the ball came across uh, the goal and the, the guy missed it. Other than that, yeah, we, I wouldn't say we dominated it, but we had the chances and it could have quite easily been 3 or 4-0 and that wouldn't have been embarrassing for Sheffield Wednesday because that possibly was a reflection. So we did what we needed to do. Not a great performance, but sufficient to get through it and move on to the next round. I think we did dominate, actually. Um, and I just wonder, in hindsight, if that was the worst possible preparation for the derby insofar as, as you say, it was attack against defence. We never had to get out of second gear and it just set a certain mindset that I don't think we ever got out of for the derby. But, I mean, no excuses. We should have done. It was a horrible game to watch, to be honest. It should have been put to bed much earlier. I wish clubs like Sheffield Wednesday would enjoy the experience and their fans would enjoy it more, rather than just booing all the time and being extremely negative on the pitch. It wasn't a great spectacle for anyone. But as you say, job done. We move on. Not a bad draw for a quarter-final. Fingers crossed we can get back to Wembley again. Again. Your thoughts on, on Newcastle? We've not a happy stomping ground recently, of course. We kind of lost in the league, didn't we, a couple of seasons ago when we were on a roll as our first loss, wasn't it, I think, for the season. And uh, also I think we've drawn there recently as well. So, so it's not exactly a happy place to go for us, but uh, we should, should win, shouldn't we? It, it was actually our last loss of the season when we lost 2-1, because after that 2-1 defeat in, I think it was the end of January, we won every single game to pit Liverpool by the point. And even that game uh, was when Aguero scored, I think, in the first minute, oh, and then right. yeah. um, thereafter, we just, again, didn't seem to play as well as we should have done. The 2 all this season, again, we went 2-1 up with a few minutes to go with that brilliant De Bruyne strike, and then let them back into the game with, a, I think it was a free kick, uh, to make it 2 all. It's ridiculous. Prior to all those, though, we had a great record at St James Park, so... It's, again, if the right city turn up, we should win that game. Newcastle are a, a very average, below-average Premier League team, and I would expect us... It's a, the, the one thing when the fixture came out, when it was announced, uh, I think, 24 hours or so ago, it's now a 7 o'clock Saturday evening game. Live on BBC One, Live on BBC, yeah, let's advertise it. Um, but that probably plays to Newcastle's advantage a little bit, an evening kick-off. Uh, under the, crowd, the lights. Under the lights. The crowd get a bit more excited under the lights, that sort of uh, environment. And they are a great crowd when they get behind the team, the Geordies. So it could be a tough uh, encounter. And a little bit of history, of course, with Newcastle. Um, you and I will both go back to 1968, of course. Um, you might only just remember 1968. Of course, we won the, the, the first division our very first division championship at St James's Park. Um, and, of course, going back even further, they beat us in the FA Cup final in 1955, of course. We went back the following year, of course, to be Birmingham City when Troutman broke his neck. But Three uh, won both games. Exactly. So a little bit of a history here it's as 76, well. 76, please. My earliest memory. Well, absolutely. Bring it first. Dennis Stewart. Dennis Stewart's overhead kick. And Peter a Barnes. A north-east lad against Newcastle. Um, what an overhead kick that was. Were, yeah. were you there that day, Paul? I certainly was, yes. Yeah, me yes, too. It was... Uh, as a teenager. You, yeah, you were still a babe in arms, I'm I sure. was, now my brother and my father went. Yeah, fantastic. So listen, that's, uh, that's the FA Cup out of the way. Should we, should we look forward then? 
Um, and we've got two fixtures and, and a bit of a fixture pile-up as well, isn't it, Paul, coming up here? Because we've got Arsenal um, tomorrow night, Wednesday night, and then Burnley at the weekend, standard three o'clock, which surprised me, Saturday's three o'clock kickoff. I got very confused about that, but yeah. I'm sure I'll manage. Um, your, just some thoughts on the fixture pile-up and the, the games we've had to move just before well, we get on to these two yeah, games? Yeah, well, we squeezed the Arsenal game in at very short notice. I don't believe Arsenal are very happy about it because it was only a week ago it was announced they're, trying, they're playing it this week. And now we've obviously lost the Chelsea fixture to the quarterfinal weekend. And because we've drawn Newcastle in the cup quarterfinal, we were scheduled to play them in the league at the Etihad on semi-final day. So clearly one of us will be through to the semi-final. So that one's gone. So we've got two more fixtures we now need to cram into our busy fixtures. And if we get through in the Champions League, it's going to really at some point be... Uh, could even be sort of three matches in a week. Uh, when I mean three, it's effectively, you could argue for it. So maybe playing on a Friday, a, uh, a Monday, a Thursday, Sunday-type scenario every three days, which will put a lot of strain on the squad. It will. Um, the big story, of course, for the Arsenal game, Tony, is what their manager coming back and uh, sitting sort of near the dugout that he sat what, for three seasons with Pep, of course. So that, that's the big story, isn't it? Um, despite the sort of way he left. Mikel Arteta get a good reception, do you think, when he comes back to the Etihad? I hope so. He certainly did great things at the club. He said nothing derogatory about City since. I don't think any of us could begrudge him a chance to manage a relatively big club uh, so early on in his career. So, yeah, I hope he gets a good tonking this week. But uh, that aside, we wish him well. And your thoughts then ahead of the game? Because he will probably know City better than anybody else. He'll know the sort of preparations. He'll know what's in Pep's mind. Uh, That must give them an advantage, mustn't it, surely? Well, it will help. And I don't think they're a fantastic team yet, Arsenal. He's made them better. But on our day, we are certainly good enough to be Arsenal, if not any team in this country and possibly in Europe. So, again, I suppose it's a question of priorities. Will he risk De Bruyne? Possibly not. If he's got a knock, I can't see all the ports back in training, thankfully. I can't see he'll be risked. So it will be a bit of a hodgepodge team. And again, I'm prepared to accept a performance that might not be up to the highest standards if it's for the greater good. But we've got a great record against Arsenal. We've had five consecutive victories against them. Who would have believed that 10 years ago? We couldn't buy a victory against Arsenal, could we? Absolutely. Your thoughts on Arteta first, Paul, before we talk about Yeah, I mean, you you said a few moments ago that Arteta will know how we have um, set up our team. He knows everything that goes on in the City uh, background with uh, Pep and that. But I think Pep will also have a bit of insight on us as to what Arteta will be doing to prep the Arsenal team as well. So it works both ways a little bit. Uh, good luck to him, except on Wednesday night. I think uh, he's got off to a decent start at Arsenal. Uh, all right, they got knocked out of the Europa League. But since uh, the start of the new year, they've not lost a league game. They they've drawn a few, but they haven't lost. So he's starting to have a bit of influence there. Whether they get high enough to get into one of the European places is... Um, I don't really care, but I mean, he's clearly having a, an impact. And then looking forward to Burnley at the, at the weekend. Um, <laughs> if you can. You can't get too excited about that, with knowing that Real Madrid on Tuesday night are just around that corner. And it's yes, kind of, it's, it's been... difficult to put it in perspective, isn't it, really now? It is, and that's not giving disrespect to Burnley. It's just that the league doesn't mean anything to us anymore. Um, the, the issue will be, of course, if we lose to Arsenal and lose to Burnley, um, a certain team has won the league. Um, And that won't be uh, great. So I think we do need to try and delay the inevitable as as long as we can. So it would be good to to beat them. And as I think I've said in a previous podcast, 
any team in Clarendon Blue this season we've played, we've put a lot of goals past them and won quite emphatically. You take West Ham, we've put five past. Villa, we put six past. Uh, and Burnley away, we put four past. So Good stats, Dato. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm here for. That's the only reason you invite me. We'll right. be so... in trouble if they're in their away kit, though, won't we? <laughs> well, yeah, but... ourselves. <laughs> So, yeah, we, we, we've, we've got so, a good record against teams that play in their first colours of claret and blue. Uh, although the League Cup final... We still won it. Didn't score lots of goals, no, but we still scores. won. Yeah, we did. You're absolutely right. Tony? Yeah, it's, it's a good old-fashioned game of football, isn't it? A bit of a throwback. It's funny, it's always City-Burnley that's the three o'clock on a Saturday game, in my recollection. That's the one never gets picked for Sky Sports, isn't it? <laughs> I wonder why. Yeah, um, yeah. Look, you know what you'll get from Burnley, don't you? They'll they'll come in, and I don't doubt they'll think if they stick a boot in, we might not quite be up for it. So, it will be a tough game. But again, there's enough experience, quality, and strength and depth in City squad to win that. And with that in mind, your thoughts? I know we're going to be back next week before the Real Madrid game, so I don't want to do too much on that, but it's such a big game we can touch on it. Just your thoughts about team selection, kind of Wednesday... Sorry, uh, yeah, Wednesday, Saturday, Tuesday, uh, I think are the the, the next three games. Um, And that's obviously against Arsenal, Burnley and Real Madrid, respectively. Your, Your thoughts on team selection, how that's going to go, I suppose with one eye on the Real Madrid game being probably the strongest squad he needs to put out, I guess. How is he going to move things around? I mean, can we, can we, can we really sort of think about, get into Pep's mind and come up with the, the answer to that question? Probably not, knowing Pep, because he's always pulls a surprise out the bag, doesn't he? It is difficult because I think a bit of confidence and a bit of momentum going into that Real Madrid game would not do us any harm. And as you say, the doom-mongers will be out having lost United if we don't get positive results against Arsenal and Burnley. But that said, that's the big game, isn't it? Real Madrid. And you want your fittest squad ready and hungry to win that one. So there will clearly be some rotation. Fingers crossed that Sane will take some part in the next couple of games. Laporte probably also needs some game time. But there's a bit of a balancing act there to be done between making sure he's over his hamstring and getting him fully up to match speed. So he's got a very difficult balancing act, Pep. We trust him. I think Tony makes a really interesting point, doesn't he, here, Paul? We've got this, what he calls a balancing act, because we want maybe to see Sane back. He's going to add a little different dimension, I suspect, um, something that maybe we've been missing partly, but also the most important one being Laporte. And he doesn't want us to start him on Wednesday, having had no match time between now and then. So there is a bit of a balancing act to be done. Oh, clearly. I mean, Pep must be thinking, what is my ideal team to play against Real Madrid next Tuesday? then he should be working backwards. If I was in that position, not that I ever will be, then I'd work back to say, if I want that team as my first 11, assuming fitness is OK, this is the team I'll play against Burnley and this is the team I'll play against Arsenal. And these are the substitutes I'll have available to make the substitutions to bring Laporte on for half an hour or if Sane can get some game time for 10, 15 minutes. That's the way I would be planning it so that you look forward to the one game and plan it backwards to work there. Yeah, and I think that probably means he'll put a strong squad out against Arsenal. Because I suspect he thinks that's the tougher fixture. Then I can rest some players for Burnley and we should be able to beat Burnley. I think the tough one is, is Mendy. I think he needs clearly needs match time, but I'm not sure his body is really up to it. So not sure what you do there, but we do need him, I think. We need his pace and his power. So looking forward to Real Madrid, I said we're going to talk about this next week in a lot more detail, but I just want to touch on it now because it is such a big game. 
what sort of part do you think, let's talk about three players here, and this is kind of speculation here and it's all about injuries and, and match fitness. So I'm going to give you three names and I want you to just give me an idea of what part they will play against Real Madrid. Kevin De Bruyne, Leroy Sane and Amerit Laporte. Assuming all three are fully fit and ready to play, which Sane might not be, De Bruyne plays 90 minutes as long as he's capable of doing it. Um, and unless we're winning, please, 3-0 after 60 minutes, you might take him off and rest him, but I don't see why. Sane, if he's fit enough, you give him some game time against Burnley, and then, again, bench against Real Madrid. I don't think you could start him against Real Madrid. And Laporte, if he can play against Burnley at the weekend, that might be a game too soon to play uh, against Arsenal. If he can get some game time against Burnley and prove his fitness, then start him on the Wednesday night. Any different to that, Tony? Or are you kind of in agreement with Stato? Yeah, I don't care if, if Kevin De Bruyne has to haul himself along by his chin to get onto that pitch against Real Madrid. He's playing 90-plus minutes. <laughs> Fantastic. It's been a huge pleasure. Thank you to my two guests, to Tony Newgrosh and to Paul Denby. This is Nigel Rothman saying thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you all very soon. This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.